0: Hey, you can't touch up. Can't you hear Marvin's own? Please hold for a very important message. Perhaps I was talking when I should have been listening.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Say It Loud. I am your host, Marvin Franklin. I want to first start off by saying thank you so much for taking the opportunity to listen today. We are really trying to do, uh, well, we as a group of one and all of my guests, but what I would like is to promote as many programs and uh, activities going on in our neighborhoods uh, so that we can start to uplift what's going on. Um, If you are listening on Apple or Breaker, Spotify, Anchor, I'd like for you to hit the like button or the follow button or the subscribe and also do me a favor and share. This is a lot of great information over the last three or four weeks. We've had some dynamic guests to talk about uh, things going on in Metro Detroit and New York. And so it's really important for us to share this information Also, if you have any questions, comments, or constructive criticisms, you can reach out to me at TalkToMeQuick21 at at AOL.com. If you're listening on Anchor, there's also a donate button. All of the proceeds go to the Beverly King Franklin Scholarship Fund. That is my mom. She died in 2018. We've had... Uh, At River Rouge High School, we've uh, given away four scholarships up to this point. Uh, They go to historically black colleges. Uh, We'd like to continue that. All of those proceeds uh, go to that. Uh, I would like to give a special shout out to the last contributor. Uh, He goes by the name of Frosty, also a.k.a. Scrappy Pappy. Thanks so much for your contribution. Uh, Those students will truly appreciate it. And finally, I'd like to say we've got a guest, this guest today, I'm so excited to have. Her name is Pamela Askew, and she retired after 30 years educating the children of Detroit and motivating and inspiring teachers to work hard uh, a lot. Uh, After starting her career as a middle school classroom teacher, she quickly rose to the rank of administrator, leading the following departments, English, social studies, and special education. Under her leadership, she personally trained her teachers using differentiated high-quality, results-driven professional development and a collaboration form of accountability, which she credits for the surge in teachers' preparedness towards increasing, increasing student growth. Through this collaboration with her teachers, Mrs. Askew increased student achievement by transforming a large Detroit public school from a failing school to a school that was recognized by the state of Michigan's Depart- Department of Education as a school of success. That success was duplicated not one time, not two times, but three times in two different school configurations from the time span of uh, 2009 to 19. With her background in curriculum development, data analysis, professional development, research and statistics, culture and climate, inclusion and diversity, Pam used those skills to ensure that the children in Detroit received a quality education. She was seen as one of the go-to persons in, Detroit's, in Detroit to improve morale, promote teamwork, improve communication skills, and ultimately achieve more results. She is a graduate of Mary Grove College, earning two advanced degrees. She received national certification as a principal's coach and mentor in 2014. In 2020, became a nationally certified consultant and trainer with the Center for Teacher Effectiveness. She designed and published education websites and conducted webinars on how to turn around schools and school reform. Pamela studied the leadership practices of top leaders of Fortune 500 companies at the National Principals Leadership Institute in New York. She worked alongside prominent Detroit influencers like Reverend Jim Jim Holly on projects to advance education for children in Detroit. Pamela is also a published author and speaker. When she's not advocating for a quality education for public school children Pamela accompanies her time with her family and travels. That is more than a mouthful. Hello and welcome. And it's been a long time since I've had a chance to talk to you. How you been, my friend, Miss Askew? How, how are you, Marvin? And I
0: would like to congratulate you on Say It Loud. This platform, um gives a voice to key issues that plague our society today so kudos to you for putting yourself out there so that these type of conversations can take
1: place i I really thank you for having me as your guest today well thank you thank you thank you it's been a a wonderful journey thus far i've gotten a lot of great um uh, feedback so far uh we've come a long way and I say we, we is a group of me and uh, the people who uh, decide to come on. But uh, it's it's been really great. And so uh, in this time, I, my mom passed a few years ago, and I, I decided that I wanted to do some things a little bit differently from the, the rest of the breaths of my life. And it's not all about what I do as far as uh, a career, but it is what I do with all of my time. And so I couldn't think of anything better than to start to give back the best I know how in, in my community. So um, we're here doing this uh, platform. I've had teachers uh, call and email and, and give me great responses or, or ask questions about what's going on. So I feel really good about it. Uh, I want to ask you about your lengthy bio, though you've got a lot of stuff going on. I want to say, number one, congratulations on on your being an author. And it we used to work together, would well, not work together. Yeah. We were we were uh, principals at the same time in the same district, and so that's where uh, Pamela and I know each other from. But that was so many that was so many moons ago. How many years ago yeah. was that? What <laughs> and you've done so much <laughs> since then. So tell me about what you've been doing. Well, um, I've written a
0: book, and <laughs> this particular novel, um, it started out as being a, a, a form of therapy. Uh, during the time when we worked together, Marvin, if you recall, we, uh, the district was going through a very difficult time with the emergency managers, there was a lot of upheaval uh, in the um Field of education and we really, um, we leaned on each other in order to keep each other strong so that we can uh, provide a quality service to the children and the teachers who we served. So out of that um, journal derived a book which is called, um, uh, the title of the book is Checkmate um, how Power and Greed Destroyed the Detroit Public School System. And so in this book, it chronicles from start to finish the dismantlement of public education. What I have found through my travels and, and going to um, various conferences, that the same thing is happening in other urban districts where there, there are children of color. So this is was almost like um, the how-to book for destroying public education. Uh, It's written in a very unique manner. Um, It's um, all of the characters are chess pieces and it follows the same format as a chess game. So if you're not a reader, you might not enjoy it, but for those who want to expand their knowledge and not afraid to read something that may be a little controversial but very true to those of us who are in the field of education, um, I definitely um, would ask that you give it a try. You can purchase it on Amazon and anywhere. Um, Novels are sold, Barnes and Nobles, um, Google Play. The book is available in many um, avenues as far as like your your eBooks. So give it a try. I think you might enjoy it. Um, The one thing is that I did write it under an assumed name because, Marvin, as you know, it was not a safe place um, back then where you can put those type of thoughts out in the open and not be uh, retaliated um, on by others. So I started out with uh, an assumed name, but now I'm ready to scream from the hilltops read
1: my book <laughs> i am so glad you said that because i was as you were talking the first thing that came to my mind is uh, you and i both come from what i would consider to be old dps i know that yes they've got some different structures but uh when i talk to people i still say i, I am old dps not dps and i know that there are a lot of people that uh, will come for you. With it's just, it was a different kind of time. So it was a different environment then. Yes. Uh, so did you get any kind of uh, feedback from anyone from the old regime about the book? Has anybody reached well, out to you? Well, they know now that I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, good. Good. So tell mm-hmm. me about. So it says. You worked at three different schools uh, in DPS, uh, and you worked at an all-female school also. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Yes. Um, The
0: Detroit International Academy for Young Women was a vision by uh, one of our former colleagues, Beverly Hippler. And she envisioned having a single gender public school with free tuition, but provided the same type of opportunities as a suburban type type single gender school. So she modeled it after um, Regina and some of your more uh, prestigious single gender schools. And what she came um, up with was a wonderful opportunity for young girls in the city of Detroit of diverse backgrounds and cultures to come together under one roof and uh, have a quality education. Um, The school itself started out small. It started with ninth and 10th grade and 93 students. And it has now grown to pre-K through 12th grade. Uh, There are five uh, different cultures that attend this particular school. And it's a wonderful opportunity for the young women of Detroit to uh, build upon uh, one another's strength as sisters in the field of education and going out into the world and doing something positive.
1: One of the things early on, um, the majority of my topic has been uh, reaching and teaching African-American males. And uh, my father worked at Marcus Garvey, which was a single gender uh, school many moons ago. Uh, I'd like to ask um can you tell me some of the programs that you would say are, uh, would be more successful than others? What, what made this school not just the single gender piece, but what do you give your success to?
0: This particular school focused on uh, the sciences and technology during uh, Beverly Hippler's ten- tenure and also my tenure. It has now expanded into a new pathway of biomedical science and veterinary science. So again, giving um, unique opportunities that otherwise would not be afforded to our students. So when you combine a high quality program that is of interest um, to students, but also helping uh, young ladies to understand that they don't have to fit within a stereotype of a female and being afraid of math and science and this is a safe uh, haven where you can explore and discover those type of subjects. Uh, It has appeared to be very successful for the school so the new principal has expanded uh, the vision of Beverly Hippler to provide uh, these new opportunities and career pathways for the girls.
1: So talk to me a little bit about some of those success stories. So where did some of those uh, kids end up or have they finished school? Or what kind of scholarships were they uh, getting? Do you have any of that information? Yes. Uh, D.I.A. for
0: short had one of the uh, top robotics team in the state of Michigan. Okay. And those young ladies placed first place under Beverly Hibbler, and they also placed first place and also a um, third place under my tenure. So I don't have the information as what they they did this year because they probably didn't compete because the schools were closed, but they had an an award-winning robotics team, all female. Also, many of the students... um, my last year, which was 2019, we had well over three million dollars in scholarships it. for students, and it was a small school. You have to remember that, um, out from grades, our 12th grade class only had maybe 48 students, Mm -hmm. so, and they, uh, those girls walked away with a lot of scholarship money uh, to start their next, you know, their next journey in their careers.
1: I absolutely love it, so I'm looking here also, there are a couple of things, so you did a little work in New York, Uh, was that uh, the Principal's Leadership Institute, did they come here, or did you go there, tell me a little bit about that. Actually, I traveled to New York. Um, I went
0: two consecutive years to study with, uh, as, as my bio states, uh, the Fortune 500 um, leaders of various companies. And what they did, they paired us in small groups with these leaders and we shadowed them for an entire week. Now, the institute itself was a 10-day institute But for an entire week, you shadowed these top leaders and top companies, um, you know, learning from their leadership styles and how they have made their companies a success. So I I was, I don't know if they still have uh, the Institute. I went uh, back in 2013, 2014. It's definitely one that I would recommend uh, once we are able, you know, to travel again, it's uh, an experience that I have been able to uh, leverage and um, build upon, and for my own leadership uh, skills to improve those.
1: So, uh, thank you, thank you for sharing that. One thing I wanted to, I'm, I want to try to have you put together a piece of. Uh, how difficult it is to be uh, an urban educator, urban principal. But I want you to give me like three to five words or a statement. Uh, what is it that made you and your school a cut above? What What about your uh, either your your background or your administrative style? What make what What are the key components? To be successful, to rise from, so he says, you are identified as a failing school and then be recognized by the state uh, as a school of success. What does it take? What is it? What did you have to do? Uh, talk to me about. First of all, you have to hold people accountable.
0: It's not a popular word, on in any job, but um, if you don't hold people accountable for the work that they are being paid to do, then what you find is that people will do as little as possible or not their best work. So I developed a, an account, accountability uh, system where I uh, did get input from my teachers. Uh, there were various uh, meetings that where we discussed exactly how do we fit in the vision of the school. And teachers had to actually write how they fit into that vision. And we posted that vision in clear sight in our main hallway to remind everyone, this is what we said that we were going to do. So just in case you forgot, it's right there for you to see it, but also uh Leaders need to um, work with their teachers. It's a false sense of reality when we think that all teachers come to us the same way. It's the same as in the classroom. All students don't come to us with the same uh, skill set, and that's the same for teachers. And when, when you find that you have that diverse group of educators, then as the leader, you need to let them know that this is a safe place. If you are not um, good at reading data, then it's my job as the leader of that school to teach you, not make you feel incompetent because you are not at someone else's skill set. And also dedication. You have to dedicate yourself to this work. It's not easy. You're going to go home tired. You're going to get angry at the principal. You're going to get angry at the teachers, the students. But the bottom line is that when we walk into those schools, what we are saying to ourselves and to those children that is that we are here to make you a better person than you were when you walked in this door.
1: I I absolutely agree. One of the things I tried to do while being principal was to uh, make the data have pictures of those students. So they felt a little bit differently about the numbers, you know what I mean? So uh, it's easy for us to say okay well you're a failing school because of these numbers instead of "All right, well how are we gonna get to a better place for Johnny who lives right around the corner as we lifted the numbers with the with pictures not and we didn't use pictures of course we actually you know made the names come to life uh... brings a sense of importance to your job to a whole nother level and so that accountability is a lot it's easier when you know you're being accountable for and it's and it is a someone versus uh... coming to work just to make a paycheck and you're right you've got to help those teachers make that shift um, and it isn't easy, and and you've got to, It's hard to. Uh, and I'm trying to find the right words to say around it all because it, it's a hard job. You know, being a principal and 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 motivating people because as much as it's all about uh, analyzing data and putting the right programs in place, it is also being a motivator of yes. people who don't always wanna wanna do more than what they have to do to get a paycheck. And uh, in many days I uh, picked up paper off the floor, I um, did things in the lunchroom, I sat next to teachers in classrooms, we taught together, we, like the whole thing, like it's I I incorporated the entire thing in in my daily practice because I wanted everybody to, to believe that this was not just the job uh, of one person. So yes. educating the kids wasn't just the job of the teacher or the principal or the assistant principal or the custodian. It was everybody, and everybody played an integral part. Everything was important. The food service, if the if the food was late, that meant we were missing this. Everybody had to know that all of these moving parts were really, really important. So... Um, I like the way that you, you did that. I'm, I'm really impressed. Um, I want to make a quick shift into the next piece um, because I really do believe that this has uh, some relevance today, not only with our current events, but also with academics. And so I sent uh, Miss Askew a, an excerpt. I've used this excerpt before, but this is from uh, James Baldwin. It's uh, The Fire Next Time in one of two essays, Down at the Cross, which is a letter from a region of my mind. Uh, What did you think about that piece overall before I start to get into a couple of pieces in here? It was
0: interesting, Marvin, that you would give me this because I had just watched I Am Not Your Negro. And so I was really interested to, to delve into this piece and really, um, you know, in, you know, have that that back and forth engagement with it. So I, I appreciate receiving this. So what I can say after reading it, um, when I it, the way that it made me feel was that it gave me uh, validation. Mm-hmm. All of the things that I have perceived uh, through my life's experiences have been confirmed. It's not that we needed that, that need that validation because you know what you know, But this was written in 1963 mm-hmm. All right. So to I, it, it brought back a situation, um, and in my bio, you, you uh, mentioned that I attended Mary Grove College. It made me recall that when I was a sophomore at Mary Grove, my English professor, had accused me of cheating on an essay exam. And she told me that there was no way that I could have written Mm. that essay. And I offered to retake the exam with a different question in the dean's office. And what ended up was that my second essay exam (laughs) was far more superior Mm -hmm. than the first one. And from that point on, that professor and I developed a relationship because what she realized, a person who always thought of herself as um, very liberal in her thinking, Mm -hmm. she prejudged me based on one thing, that I was a brown girl Mm -hmm. in a classroom, and in her experiences, I should not have had That a superior writing
1: ability that I uh, displayed on that essay. So that means that those high expectations that your parents and your teachers had uh, to help prepare you for that moment. That's the one thing I also think is something we've got to definitely continue to say about uh, educating our children is you you have to have and maintain a high level of expectation those kids can do Um, one example I've used before while talking to to people in my in my work is uh, it's a basketball analogy so they were you know sometimes they they fringe they frown upon it but I said well just think about it just look at it and and we can tell so uh, I was coaching uh, third and fourth grade kids uh, from a small uh, suburban area. And we were getting ready for uh, what I would call as a, a little a group of uh, games that we were going to play in Highland Park. And so uh, my boys, uh, we had one black boy on the team, the black boy on the team was my son. Uh, and uh, well, two, there were two, there was one other boy. And uh, we went to Highland Park, and it was a real, the, there were very few lights. D- they didn't work. It was a, a real dusty gym, and we had all of the latest equipment. We all had nice new gym shoes on, and I was trying to teach the boys how to dribble around their back and between their legs before we went, and the boys kept saying, we can't do this, we can't do it, we can't do it, we're too young. I said, okay, uh, you know, fine. We went to play these boys in Highland Park, and you want to talk about getting a butt whooping like you wouldn't believe. And guess what those boys were doing? The same age, they were dribbling around their back and between their legs, and they were shooting from ungodly ranges. And my kids saw the other kids and said, I can do it because they saw someone else they do it. Someone, it's the yeah. same thing. It's although it's basketball, it's the same thing. It was it's a higher level of of, of an activity to dribble between your legs and a, around your back. But I didn't have to do anything else. So when we got to practice the next the next day, guess what all those boys were doing? They were taking their hand trying to get <laughs> that ball around their backs <laughs> because they saw it, you know? And so part of Part of our education, I, I believe, is you, you've got to see it when you're you're around other things, and you keep hearing what you can't do, and and you maintain those barriers. Guess what? You're going to live up to that expectation. You can't. You have to remove the word "can't" from your vocabulary. So exactly. Anyway, I want to go ahead and ask you. This, so I, I highlighted a couple of pieces from here, and I want to get your personal opinion about it. Now we'll kind of kick the can back and forth. But James Baldwin starts this particular piece with the American Negro is a unique creation. He has no counterpart anywhere and no predecessors. What do you think about that? It's almost
0: as if we are, they they call him no man Mm -hmm. because you don't belong to any land. Mm -hmm. And I've met um, several individuals, you know, people who are from Africa. Mm -hmm. And we uh, had a conversation, uh, one particular, I won't use her name. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a very deep conversation about that, why Africans look down on African Americans. Mm -hmm. And it's for that statement that you just read, we are of people with no land because we don't truly identify, we say we do, mm-hmm. but we don't truly identify with Africa. All we know of Africa, unless you had the opportunity to visit is what we have read and seen. Do we truly identify? I think we, we ident- identify ourselves more as the American part of African American, but every day we're being told to go back where?
1: Yeah, go back to Africa.
0: To Africa, right. a place that most of us have never been. So we're, we're walking through a land that the only land that we know, but constantly being reminded that it's not our home. Mm-hmm. So I fully um, agree with his statement. Yeah, we I- are a unique creation. We are
1: a person A a being with no land. Totally, totally agree. You know, as I read it, it just it sends chills through my uh, bones because uh, it's. We talk about slavery, right? So we 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 built this land off of our blood, sweat, and tears. Our labor helped to develop the. Uh, financial components of this land, yes. But yet and still, we don't have any capital to to say that we participated in that in all well, we of the wars. Capital. Say it, it again. Was, if you recall,
0: Marvin, we in in certain areas, mm-hmm. uh, Tulsa, for example, yes, Oklahoma, we had capital. Had yes. But
1: it was uh, but but it, it was always taken from us. Correct. So like every, they found ways to to give and then get get back. And that's yeah. just been so and that and I'm where I'm going with all of this. It's like we've we've given and given and given and given as this American piece. And, yes. it, and it doesn't love us back. It, it does. And it doesn't. You know, so there are all of these little little areas where they feel where we start to believe that we are a part of it. You know, so you think about um, uh, all of the successes that we've done. And I'll say this, I'll say this. One of the problems I have with uh, our history right now is black history, African history, African American history is regular history. We have we have. Yes. And and I'm not saying that I'm so glad that we found a way to get black history and black history month. But what I'm also saying is we've got to find a way to make sure that uh, Lewis Latimer is a part of the sciences altogether, not just something that we lift is in a, a category of black history uh, yes. Charles Dr. Charles drew that is American history that is not just the African it's not just us and so we have contributed to so many things in america and it keeps pushing us back and we stick out like sore thumbs and because of the color of our skin and yet and still like we, we're we so conflicted right so when we look at ourselves in the past many many moons ago they talked about the melanin of our skin but what do you see uh people who don't have melanin in their skin do they go and they they get dark right they talked about our the size of our our lips and they talked about our butts and what do we see now they're going to get collagen and they're, they're getting these you know larger or fuller they don't call them larger they say fuller lips and and fuller bosoms you know and that's it's conflicting to us because We've had all it's of these who things we are naturally it's yes. who we are naturally right and exactly, then you know, exactly. so it's been uh it's just interesting and and so it's a hard place for us to to completely grasp to and the one thing i I'm gonna go on, but the one thing I'm having a hard time with personally is um so this confederate flag that we've been talking about in current events recently so you you want to Southerners want to say that uh, believing in this flag or flying this flag doesn't have harming uh, features, uh, but when we when we kneel uh, on the other flag, I don't see any. I don't see the same pushback about the Confederate flag from others as I do. Uh, when we say that we're, we're being brutalized um, by the police, and so and it, it had nothing to do about the flag the, the kneeling, I, I don't want to mix exactly. those things up, but what exactly. I want to say is, it's just like why aren't you saying the same thing to your brothers who are raising a flag of a, a group, uh, the confederate that lost the war, they lost and, you know, so that's my two cents uh, <laughs> Very good, (laughs) two cents. I'm going to go on to another part and then kind of move on. So it also says, uh, I am then, both visibly and legally, the descendant of slaves in a white Protestant country. And this is what it means to be an American Negro. This is who he is, a kidnapped pagan who was sold like an animal and treated like one, was once defined by the American Constitution as three-fifths of a man, and who, according to the Dred Scott decision, had no rights that a white man was bound to respect, and today, a hundred years after his technical emancipation, he remains with the possible exception of the American Indian, the most despised creature in his country. What do you think about that? Is that profound or what? <laughs> you know, Marvin,
0: uh, if you've watched uh, the Thirteenth Amendment, and it it it's it was a piece that truly uh, hit me to the core because I don't know when we were younger, if we ever thought of the prison system as another form of slavery, because we have been um, portrayed as these beasts and villains you know, in the media for so long that even we ourselves as African-Americans begin to see one another that way. There were a, there was a statement in uh, the paragraph after that that talks about the new Negro, mm-hmm. and Baldwin coined that phrase in 1963.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we still use that same terminology today, but we just substitute the word mm-hmm. Negro for the N word. Yes. Okay. Yes. So. Baldwin was absolutely right to feel the way that he, he did because the fact that the African-American, um, as he stated, continues, continues to be the most despised people in America. So when we, we, when we speak of the new Negro and this being three-fifths of a man, What we're really saying is that we have to make sure, not we. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. But we have to make sure that there are political and social structures dedicated to eliminate the difficulty in keeping this Negro
1: in his or her place. And it still exists today. It still exists today. And and I think that... uh, Many things have been uh, highlighted when I say many things. So I believe that part of America, quote unquote America, believes that we have made it because we continually highlight a handful of large successes. So those large successes, whether it be Michael Jordan, Oprah Winfrey or whatever, Mm -hmm. make it appear as though it is possible for any and all of us to attain a certain level. When, and, those, and those racist uh, bars don't exist for whatever reason. But the truth of the matter is, and, and I spoke on another podcast about, uh, so 13th is highlighted in Michelle Alexander's book, um, The New uh, Jim Crow and and yes. i also i i also highlight all of these pieces in in my podcast about these this old uh literature and new literature because i do believe that part of our answers is right here in front of us in a lot of the books that we do or don't read and so i'm going to try to do the best i possibly can to highlight some of these things so that we see like this is just like anything else in 63 as i read this on it, if I were to write this and publish this today, who would say this is outdated material? Everybody would say this is relevant for what we're dealing with as we're talking about right now. Earlier in this piece, I only pulled out an excerpt, but earlier in this piece, James Baldwin specifically talks about being beaten by police officers, he talks about police brutality, yes, and so yes. so we're talking. We're not talking about something that just all of a sudden just happened. Uh, when we think about our current events, these this police brutality right now is just being recorded. This has been something that we've been dealing with for a lifetime. There's one yes. other piece I want to highlight. I do want to change uh, ch- change gears just a little bit because I'm not going to. Harp on just the bad stuff. We've got to we've got to move forward. So he also says, uh, hence the torment and necessity of love, and this is the enormous contribution that the Negro has made to this otherwise shapeless and undiscovered country. And so I thought that was interesting to to highlight uh, one of the contributions to uh, the USA as love. I think of yes. all of the things that we have done. We have been a forgiving people. <laughs> and, yes. and we have turned. We don't have another cheek to turn. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I really, I, I like that because as we, the only way we're going to get through all of this, I believe, is we're going to have to be our own unique selves. and And what we are in ourselves is, what with, with baked into our DNA is that love. So that love didn't come, I don't believe, in what we've uh, learned when we got here. I think that was in our DNA from uh, our predecessors, our ancestors. Our
0: ancestors, yes. yes.
1: And so, um, well, what do you think? T- give me your, your opinion on that. Well, I think we both
0: can agree, Marvin, that I would not live anywhere else except for America. Right. I've traveled um, to many countries in 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 this world, and there's n- no better place than America. Mm-hmm. So when I think of what Baldwin says about love, it it is in our nature to love thine enemy, even when. Mm-hmm we're being mistreated you know it's in our nature and i think that we love our country so much Mm -hmm. that regardless we have this country's back Mm -hmm. regardless we will always stand up and be proud americans so i i definitely um with the contributions that we have made and those contributions that don't get the media, Mm -hmm. those contributions of your everyday man and woman that you never hear about. You know, we always hear about those who um, have the big names, but there are so many contributions of your everyday people who are doing extraordinary things that keep this country moving. Just um, if we could, you know, talk about a little bit about the pandemic. America had to realize that those insignificant people that were behind the cash register Mm -hmm. in the grocery store ended up being the people who
1: kept
0: us alive. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what uh, Baldwin is alluding to, that without everyone, this country would not be what it is today. And just think of how great, how much, how much more we could contribute to the world's landscape if we allow, allowed everyone to take part in that opportunity to build this country and take it in directions that it can go that is beyond, you know, any of our thoughts. If we just allowed everyone an opportunity to contribute.
1: I totally agree. So I'm gonna call this "Say It Loud" episode. This is all about love too, because uh, we have to show love to all of the uh, great things that are going on in our community uh, right here, right now. We've got uh, a lot. This book, uh, "Checkmate," that some highlights some things that we've uh, that have gone on. And uh, earlier we talked about some programs. If you have uh, someone. Uh, any of my listeners, if you have someone you feel like would be a great uh, a business to highlight or doing a great program in the community, you want it lifted, I would say please reach out to me. Send me a little note at talktomequick21 at AOL.com. The next guest that we will have will be Dr. Afia. And I had the wonderful opportunity to hear Dr. Afia. And she talks about something called psychotherapy and so our hair is also a piece of our ancestry that um that they've tried to take away from us and so i'm i'm really excited about the next guest also i wanted to put that in there so you all could be ready to listen uh thank you so much uh pamela ask you for coming and sharing some time and uh some of your great wisdom and knowledge with us uh, I would, I'm looking forward to doing some sort of forum in the very near future. Uh, I'm, I've been reluctant to do it on Zoom. I want to have a more authentic uh, answer question-answer session so we don't have those pauses that you have when you have this technology going. So I don't know how soon or how I'll work that out just yet, but I'd love for you to participate if at all possible. Would you, would you oh, be concerned you. to do that? Yes, definitely yes. Do you have anything else you want to share with my listeners Before I let you go? What I would like to share with your listeners Because
0: I know uh, one of your main focus Is the African American male And the education of the African American male I think that if all of us Would just look at this male child As someone who deserves to the right to be treated without judgment Mm -hmm. and fairly then i know that the things that we are seeing in our communities um it can it will solve itself these young these young men these young boys the moment that they walk into their just their very existence Mm -hmm. is it causes some people to stand away from them, just their their mere existence, whether it's a five-year-old boy or a 21-year-old man. That African-American male, he walks into this world knowing that he is, when you say the most despised person in America, I think we can kind of look at that our African-American men are definitely at the top of that list. Absolutely. So we have to remember to, you know, love our boys, love our men, have their backs.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, I love it. Thank you so much. We do. We've got to. We've got to hold, and we've got to hold our. Uh, love our, our African American women too. We got to do it right. back. It's reciprocal. So James Baldwin yes, was talking about that as well. So we got to love each other and and have each other's backs. Uh, as we go through these pandemics, as we go through police brutality and all the challenges that uh, society has, has given us, because we have, over time, what have we really shown everyone? We have resolve. We, we're some bad folks. We, yes, we survived <laughs> the middle passage. We survived slavery. We survived all of the stuff that's continually going on, the syphilis, Projects. I mean, they've, they've done everything to us. They've prodded us, and I even say some of the things that they do in public education uh, is uh, detrimental. But that's another, I'm going to have to write that in the book, I suppose. But thank you so much. I'm going to move on, and I and, uh, want you to enjoy uh, your week and the holiday weekend coming up thank pretty you. soon. And God bless, and take care.
0: All right, Marvin, take care.